What we think controls what we do and how we behave. The more we set our thoughts and affections upon Christ, the more we will be able to say no to sin. Let me say that again. What we think controls what we do and how we behave. And the more we set our thoughts and affections upon Christ, we will be more able, we've been abled to say no to sin. What kind of ruts do you create in your mind? What do I mean by that? We all have them. Uh, things that we continually go back to in our hearts and in our thoughts, especially when our minds are not occupied with something else. There is no such thing as an idle mind. We will always be thinking about something. If you think about ruts in a muddy road, um, sometimes ruts are unhelpful and sometimes they're actually helpful. They can be unhelpful when you want to stay out of them. Uh, you know, when the lay of the land is so muddy that it doesn't matter uh, how much you try, you just constantly slip back into those ruts. The, the, the tires, you might turn left or right, but the walls are too steep and you just can't get out. No matter if you, if you have super swampers or you have four-wheel drive, you just can't get out. And, and as you continue to spin those tires, you actually are digging those ruts deeper and deeper, making it even more difficult to get out last time and creating problems for the future. You know, we, we make all kinds of ruts in our hearts and our minds unhelpful ones. You know, the more we have sinful thoughts and, and the more we indulge in sinful thought patterns, the more we wallow in shame and guilt, the more we give in to sinful anxiety. Even when we think and are consumed by morally neutral things, the more we will think about them, the more we'll be focused on them. The deeper the ruts we make, harder making it harder to get out of it. But sometimes ruts are helpful. Uh, I remember growing up and going to my grandfather's farm, and as you left the pond area and you went up uh, over into the next field, you had to go over this really tall and steep ridge. And it was always muddy, always muddy. Now, right next to the road, right beside the road, there were a bunch of trees, and not only were you going this way, but there was also a slant to it, that naturally wanted to send you into those trees. And so my grandfather always said, steer for the ruts. Get in the ruts because the ruts will get you up the hill and keep you safe from sliding in to the tree. Sometimes ruts can be helpful. We can create helpful ruts in our minds, helpful tracks that keep us from sliding into those unhelpful areas, that keep us from temptation and keep us on the narrow road of walking with Jesus. The question that we have to ask ourselves, and I want you to ask yourself, is what kind of ruts are you making in your thoughts and in your minds? Because you are making them. You are making them, one kind or another. Are they ones that keep you from walking with Jesus in freedom and in holiness, or are they ones formed by godly thoughts and attitudes and affections that keep you out of sin and temptation. 
See, what we think controls what we do and how we behave. And the more we set our thoughts and affections upon Christ, the more we will be able to say no to sin. Now, here's the thing. As we think about this text, Paul's going to begin and interweave in there about who we are in Christ Jesus. Because it really matters when we talk about fighting uh, the battle of the heart and the mind. It really matters if you're a Christian or not. It's only someone who has received the Holy Spirit, who has been born again, who has been bathed in the blood of Jesus. It is only that person who has had the sacrificial blood of Jesus applied to them that will be able to get out of the ruts of sinful thought patterns. Why? Because Romans 8 tells us this, for, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's how serious it is. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, that is our sinful nature, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Before we become believers, we are spiritually dead and completely unable to get out of those ruts. But when someone is converted, when someone becomes a Christian, he or she is transformed and transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom we have redemption. Things change, and we become new creations. It's kind of like you're going from being a, a car without an engine block to having the biggest mud truck you've ever seen that can get out of any rut. That's what Jesus does for us. We are new creations in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What happens? Well, we are united to Christ. We were crucified with Him on the cross. We were buried with Him in His burial. And we were raised with Him in His resurrection. And that means that our sins have been paid for and we are now new people. So when those ruts seem really deep, you should know that the devil wants you to think you can't get out of it. But in Christ, you are able to by the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul is referring to in 3.1. If then you've been raised with Christ, it's a rhetorical kind of thing. If you've been raised with Christ, well, if you're a Christian, you have been. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, the battle against sin and temptation is won or lost in our hearts and minds. Before we ever get to the battlefield of our actions, it is won and lost in our minds. If we are Christians and we have Christ and we have the Holy Spirit and there's so many new things about us, we have new life, we have eternal life that begins at our conversion and will last forever. We are alive together with Christ, no longer dead, and we have new hearts. Whereas before we couldn't seek godly things, we can now. Old patterns of sin and those old ruts can be dealt with and fault. I'm not saying it'll be easy. You'll have to fight tooth and nail. But they can be dealt with. See, new thought patterns and rhythms can emerge. New ruts, good ruts can be made. We have a new identity in Christ, no longer defined by our sin and our failures. Those things that you have done that deserved hell, those no longer define you. Instead, Christ's righteousness defines you. And you are now a child of the living God. I think He can help you with your thought life. He is able to do that. You know, when we become believers, we're not talking about a remodel of our hearts. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Several years ago, 
we were looking at our kitchen, and we had been for a long time, and saying, man, this thing's really ugly. Uh, and, uh, and we said that a lot. And so we finally looked at our budget and said, oh, we can't afford a new kitchen, but we can afford some, um, some touching up. And so it was a bit of a remodel. Uh, we had our cabinets painted. We had uh, fairly nice uh, flooring put down. Uh, we, we had uh, new countertops put in. And our kitchen looks a lot better now. It's been remodeled. That's not what Jesus does to your heart. It would be like if he came in and wiped all of it out and completely made new construction. That's what Jesus does to our hearts when we're believers. So, now we're enabled to fight the battle in our heart and minds. But wait, there's more. Verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in, uh, with Christ in God. Our old lives, our old selves, our old sinful flesh, who we used to be, that's dead. It was already spiritually dead. Now it's been made deader, right? It's, it's really dead. I mean, it is dead dead. Uh, it's been crucified with Jesus, and we now have life, and this life is hidden in Jesus, with Jesus in God. What does this mean? Well, several things. One, it means that we are secure in Christ. And it's only out of an acceptance of that security that the victory has been won already that we are able to engage with this battle. Knowing that the battle is fought today, but the overall victory has been won, and who we are in Christ is secure in Him and cannot be changed. I have a safety deposit box. Do you? It's a great thing to have. Uh, I haven't seen what's in there in several years. Why? Because I know the documents that are there, and I know it's safe, Lord willing. It, it, those things will be there in, in when I need them. There's nothing that can take them out. Well, that's like how secure we are in Christ. There's nothing that can threaten our identity in Jesus. There's, there, there, there's no solvent that can dissolve the union between us and Christ. There's, there's no force that is able to, to pry us from Jesus. We have been united to Him, and that will continue for all of eternity because He loves you, and He has died for you, and been raised for you. And he's coming back for you one day too. But secondly, our, our lives are hidden with him in the sense also that this union with Christ is not physically evident. It's a spiritual reality. You know, sometimes you can tell in someone's countenance if they love Jesus or not. You've met those folks, right? It's like, man, I, they love Jesus. But not in passport photos. Do you know about passport photos? You, you're not allowed to smile. You're not allowed to have your glasses on. Uh, you're required to look mean and ugly. Uh, in a passport photo, you can't tell if a person's a Christian or not. But that doesn't change the spiritual underlying reality that is true. Um, while you can't, we don't have a, a detector that, you know, Christian or not, you know, uh, one day what is hidden will be revealed. What is hidden now will be made manifest on the day when Jesus comes back. And you, believer, will be openly acknowledged before all of creation to be a child of God. And we yearn for that day. But there's one more thing before we get into these commands. Uh, and it says in verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Who is your life? What is your life? 
It is not your performance on the, um, on the ball field. It's not what's in your 401k. It is not in what kind of car you drive or how big your house is or if you have more than one house. It's not in your accomplishments. It's not if you're smart or not. It's not if you're dumb or not. It's not if you're poor or rich or not. Who is your life? It is Jesus. Because all the rest can be stripped away and we will still be who we are in Christ. And this also means that when we fail in our fight against our thoughts, and we will, that even then, our life is secure in Christ. And there's forgiveness, and God will help us another day. You are secure in Christ. He is your life. So, now the commands. Paul likes to do this a lot. He has started his book, his, uh, his epistle to the small church in a small town in Colossae with great theological heights of who Christ is and that he is sufficient for everything you need. And now, halfway through the book, he's going to shift gears. In light of those things, now do this. He does this in epistle after epistle after epistle. And we're in the pivot point this morning. It pivots uh, at, uh, at chapter 3, verse 1. And so he's going to give us three commands, which we're going to walk through. 1B, seek the things that are above. 2A, set your minds on things that are above. 2B, not on things that are on the earth. Taken together, these first two, seeking the things that are above and set your minds on things that are above, um, tell us that we must intentionally set our minds and our hearts upon the Lord Jesus in holy, good, and righteous things. It is a command. You must do this. It's not an option. You are in Christ Jesus. You have this reality. Now live like it. Live out who you are in Him. No longer set your things on who you once were and your old pursuits and those desires which belong to your old self. Instead, set your mind and your affections on God and holy things. Now, this takes effort, doesn't it? Have you ever tried to think about nothing? Let's try this for a second. All right. We're going we're to pause. The next 10 seconds, I want you to think about nothing. You ready? Go. How'd you do? Bet you're thinking, this is awkward. And I wish the preacher wouldn't do this. Right? But you were thinking about something, weren't you? You, you can't not think about something. Um... You know, it's getting close to lunchtime, and you start thinking about how hungry you are, and your stomach starts to grumble, and you wish the preacher would stop preaching. Uh, and in order to stop thinking about that, you have to start, start thinking about something else. It's an intentional thing. The seek and set, these verbs, are ones that don't just happen. It takes intentionality. Establishing new ruts in our hearts and new rhythms in our mind take time and actually effort. Did you know that there's effort to the Christian life? It takes work. It doesn't save us. This work comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's willing and working within us. But that means you've got to work. If you're going to have victory over your sinful thoughts and your sinful affections, I know you have them because I do too, it's going to take work. Are you engaged in this battle? Are you trying? 
You know, um, in order to refill the deer feeder that sits in the field where I usually hunt, you have to drive through about 300 yards of a hay field. Now, you can tell before you go out to the feeder if it's been refilled recently. You can tell because the truck makes those white lines in the hay uh, heading to the deer feeder. You can see if someone has been there recently. Now, if someone has been filling it a lot, that hay isn't just going to have those white lines. It's going to actually be pressed down a little bit. And the more you go on that, uh, that path, you stay in that same path, soon that grass is going to be dead. And if you do it long enough and there's rain, you'll actually start getting divots in the ground and even longer, finely rut. So at the end, you don't even have to hold your hands on the steering wheel. You just have to find the ruts and hit the accelerator. And it will take you to that deer feeder. That's how the ruts work in our hearts. And the more we set our minds on the things of God, the more natural it will become on a daily basis. It's like priming the pump to an outboard motor. You know, if you try to start that outboard motor without priming the pump, it won't work. You have to prime that bulb. Now, once you start priming that bulb, and it takes hard work, you know, if, especially if it's kind of dry rotted, it's, it's going to be hard to, to press that pump. And it might be hard to begin to engage in the fight with the mind if you hadn't been doing it in a while. But once you get the pump primed, you will find that the Holy Spirit will help you to continue in this fight. We have a similar command in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy in praise, think about these things. Your mind's always thinking about something. Does it think about the Lord very much? Does it think about what He wants for you? You know, as you get to know Jesus uh, more and more, what he values begins to wear off on us, and we begin to value them as well. But this process takes intentionality. But Paul also gives us a negative here. He says not to set our minds on the things of the earth. What does he mean by that? First, let me say that he's not saying you can't think about your hobbies. He's not saying you can't think about how you're supposed to do your job or practical concerns or, uh, or, or what you're gonna, uh, how you're going to do schoolwork. He's not saying that. He doesn't, you know, the old line, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I think that's a helpful saying. I, I don't know. But, that, but he's not saying that. Um, what is he saying? He says don't be ruled by these things. If, if you think about our thoughts of the Lord and the thoughts of everything else, if you were to put them in a balance, in a scale, just how far would each side go? What is the default setting of our hearts? I know what mine is, and it's usually sin. And it's usually cruise control in ways that probably aren't glorifying to God. Uh, and I've got to fight those ruts daily. God calls us to fight those things. Do these things uh, crowd out our thoughts of the Lord? You know, the things that we set our minds on will do two things. It will identify what we value, and it will strengthen that value. What our minds go to will identify what we value, and it will also strengthen that love and affection, either good or bad. You continue to think about it, it's going to establish new ruts. 
And so do we want to continue to establish deeper ruts of, of sinful patterns, of sinful thoughts? Well, a lot of times we do. We like those things. We sin because we like it. The best way to fight those things is to establish new patterns of seeking after the Lord. You know, it turns out that um, the way that God has designed our hearts and our souls um, spiritually and physically uh, match. Uh, Now, it should because he made both of them. But um, when we think about something over and over again, it actually rewires our brains. Did you know those things are called neural pathways? That as we keep thinking about something, it, it, memories begin to get connected. And, and they're, they're actually, we can call them ruts, but, but strong neural connections between memories. I was thinking about my grandfather yesterday, and I hadn't been in his study in 14 years. He died 15 years ago. And all of a sudden, I could remember what his office smelled like. Guns, books, cigarette smoke, and dog pee. That's what his office smelled like. It's a unique combination. Uh, All of a sudden, it just came back. I hadn't smelled it in 14 years. And now I've thought about it a lot today. Those neural pathways are being strengthened again. Do we want to strengthen those neural pathways to bad things? Let me tell you something. It is God is pleased with you when you're tempted to think about something sinful. That fleeting thought comes in. He is pleased when you fight it. You may not fight it perfectly, but He is pleased when you try. And He's pleased when you try again, and you try again, and you try again. And slowly those old patterns begin to erode. A lot of times it takes longer than we want. As we seek Christ, we are told that we seek Christ where is he? He's at the right hand of God the Father. That's, that's language that speaks of God's power and his authority. Now, he has ownership over your thought life, whether you like it or not. He is Lord over your thoughts, which means you answer to him for them. But that also means that he has the authority and the ability to help you to reset those thought patterns. Let me make a few practical applications here. Let me tell you some of the things that I, I found really helpful that I've learned from other people. One of the things that when you have a particular sinful thought pattern that you keep going back to, whether it's anger or bitterness or hatred of some person or lust or you name it, uh, have a plan beforehand that when you're thinking about that, that you're going to replace it Not just with something, but with something particular. One of the things I did when I first came to Bruton, I was just consumed with the covetousness for a truck. You can't be a man. Well, actually, you can. I just talked on being a man of God a few weeks ago. and You can be a man of God without having a truck, but just barely. Uh, So you have to have a truck. And uh, I was consumed with it. And I knew that was sin. And I had this buddy who was having a hard time. And so I said, I'm going to pray for this guy every time I see a truck. (laughs) Y'all, he got prayed for a lot because there are a lot of trucks in Bruton. But having a game plan ahead of time, pick a missionary, uh, pick someone who you know that isn't a Christian. Every time your mind starts going there, start praying for that person. The second thing is uh, it's really helpful to have Scripture as the thing that you're going to replace that thing with. 
And I'm not even talking about Scripture that applies to the thing you're trying to replace. It's good to memorize Scripture about anxiety and claim those promises. That's good. But sometimes I feel, in my own experience, anecdotally, that I like to focus on other passages that have nothing to do with that to get my mind off of that thing completely. In Montgomery, I was having a hard season before we came here, and so I decided that I was going to memorize Psalm 103, and that's long. And, and I was able to accomplish it. I can't do it anymore. Uh, and so when I started going down that road, I just started quoting Psalm 103 from the beginning to the end. And usually halfway through, I'd forgotten what I was thinking about. And y'all, that is victory. Memorizing God's Word is so important. There's power in God's Word. It is living and active, and it is from God. And it is one of the primary ways that God uses by the Holy Spirit to change us. And in those moments of battle we, we got to stand strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, not in our own. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. And so we engage with spiritual strength in a spiritual battle. Third practical advice, talk about it. Okay? Talk about it. Find a brother or sister in Christ, your pastor or a counselor. If there are ruts that you just cannot escape, then it might be time to talk somebody. Find someone who's trusted. Uh, you can trust me. Uh, and if you need to talk to a professional counselor, I see one, by the way. There's no, there's no shame in that. Uh, I've got folks I'd be happy to refer you to if you just need to talk to somebody. Um, God has given us the gift of each other that we can create new ruts. And sometimes we need a backhoe to come with a chain and pull us out of that rut by just talking about it. All right, so let's, let's wrap up. We have this great verse in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. You know, so far in history, the most important thing that has happened is the life, burial, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But there is a date that is more final, more cataclysmic, and more inescapable, and that is when Christ returns, and it will literally stop history and time. History will be no more. Time will stop and we will be ushered into eternity in the new heavens, new earth. It will be the day of judgment when He comes to finally and fully establish His kingdom. We live as if this won't happen, but my friends, it will and it's real. And though it seems like God tarries, He has a reason and it could be today. Are we ready? And for those who don't know Jesus, they are called goats. and They will be separated from God's sheep and they will be sent into the hells of fire forever. But for the sheep, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Because let me tell you something. All those sinful thoughts that you've had, even during the sermon, Jesus paid for those. They have been washed with the blood of Jesus. You've been declared righteous if you're in Christ. Someone has answered. Someone besides you has answered for all those terrible things that you've thought. Those things that, man, I hope no one knows about that. Jesus knows. And then he paid for it. He died for it. And it is forgiven in him. And so at the day of judgment, we will rejoice as we say, there's another sin Jesus paid for. Praise God for that too. For the day of rejoicing, it will be. For those who are in Christ, our life which has been hidden with Christ in God will be manifested and made public. And Jesus will say, that's my brother. And God will say, that's my child. We will enter into heaven forever, and our fight with our thoughts will be over. May the Lord come soon. Let's pray.